Our ushers will collect the morning tithes and offerings in just a moment, but I'd like to say a brief word about our current sermon series, The Tabernacle, The Dwelling of God, that is concluding today. Uh, Some time ago, I, I spoke to Steve Kim, our director of worship music, about the idea of returning to the book of Exodus to study the building of the tabernacle, the the blueprint and designs the Lord God gave to Moses. And his eyes lit up and he was really excited about it because of his own studies in his previous church and with his father who was a pastor in studying the tabernacle. You may not be aware of this, but in every worship service, as, as there is so much time and energy put into a message, there is equally time and energy and art, artistry uh, put into the whole worship service, so that this whole series from the beginning of the new year to even today has been a review of the tabernacle, of a welcoming into God's presence, a celebration of the attributes of God, and a settling before the Lord who calls us to draw near. And then today, we have a very special offering from Steve. He shared with me that he had written uh, this special hymn of praise that he liked to teach to the congregation. And I asked him if he would sing it as our offering today. So may God richly bless you as you uh, give generously, but as you listen and worship together with this uh, brand new uh, hymn of praise that our own uh, director Steve has written and will perform with, with our wonderful players.
praises to you. All glory to you. Take our lives and draw us to your cross. You are the life and the light. In you alone we trust. In your presence, Lord, we bow. presence, all we can do is to surrender and fall down before you. This offering we give is what you actually gave us, the offering of your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. So this is our worship, that your blood gave us eternal life. You are the living water. Lord, we're here to listen to you. Bless Pastor Pete as he comes and delivers your word. Open our hearts and let your will be done. Guide our hands, feet, heart, and every aspect of our lives so that we may grow in the knowledge of you, Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Thank you. I invite you to please open your Bible to the book of Exodus. Chapter 30 and 31, found on pages 70 and 71. Rest easy, we will not read all of both chapters. Thank you, Steve, our brother in Christ, our director of worship music, our artist in residence, maestro, for this blessing of his gift to us in praise. In your presence, Lord, we bow down. In your holiness, we stand still. Pray that would be our attitude and our posture every time we gather on the Lord's Day. Worshiping Jesus together is the single most important thing that we do as a church. Joyful, united worship. It satisfies the soul. Steve's saying of this awesome reality that by God's grace, we can come into his presence to bow down, to, to humble ourselves and worship our servant king. And that by God's grace, in his holiness, we can stand. The, the mobile sanctuary of God, called the tabernacle, the designs, the blueprints given to uh, Moses on Mount Sinai, a dwelling place for God, a throne on earth for God to be with his people as they journeyed through the wilderness. That's what we've been studying since the beginning of the new year. And what we've learned throughout the series is that the design of the tabernacle is filled with symbolism pointing the people back to the Garden of Eden, back to what was lost, 
what will be now restored. And we've looked at all of the aspects of the tabernacle. We've seen that it's filled with symbolism also of Israel's true vocation as God's priesthood, as a people set apart for service before God as his living priests. We've also learned that every detail and element points to Jesus Christ, who the New Testament calls our high priest, who even now, at this very hour, intercedes for us on our behalf before the throne, and that he stands before God the Father in his perfect righteousness. And we try to wrap our brain about, around these kinds of words and phrases and word pictures and the imagery and the, the powerful symbols and elements and furnishings and the great curtain and divide and all the aspects of the worship we see in their tabernacle. And all of it is, is pointing to his presence and to his power and to the reality that joyful corporate worship is in fact the single most important thing that we do together as a church. And so it's fitting that that's been not only the theme of this uh, multi-part series, but in fact it's the theme of all of 2017. That we as a church, following the Lord, at times feeling like we're out in the wilderness on our own, that we can come and draw near to God. Think on these words. We had them on the screen a moment ago. Let me just read them to you from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 22. And we've seen the tie-in that this book uh, written to the Hebrews, written to uh, Jewish believers uh, in, in Jesus and those teetering on the edge of whether to join in or not. Was he truly the Messiah? And how the book of Hebrews helped them to understand he truly is the anointed one. And we've seen the connection between this book in the New Testament and this great book in the Old. And the writer says these words, starting verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by his sacrifice, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, since we have this great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with sincere hearts, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from the guilt within, having our bodies washed with pure water. Isn't that a call to corporate worship? And so Steve's hymn and this very passage of Holy Scripture call us to draw near to God in worship. And worship happens individually, it happens throughout the week, all the time. We have an opportunity to worship. But it certainly happens when we come together as a church. Something powerful happens in this place. With our prayers, with the, the singing, with the hearing of God's word, the fellowship, and even the call to go out then and, and serve in his name. All of it is done. All these forms of worship are unified around this single point that I want to impress upon you today, that we are to worship God God's way. That would have been the title of the sermon, but when Steve introduced his, his hymn this week, I was just floored and said, I've got to name the sermon in your presence as, as we just heard him sing. But the title of the sermon could also be 
God's way. Because if the biggest takeaway, if we look at chapters 30 and 31 in Exodus, the end of this study of the blueprints for the tabernacle, it's absolutely clear that God requires that only the Lord be in charge of his worship. That God wants to be worshipped God's way, his way. The, the, te- the text will say that there are, in fact, serious consequences of worshipping any other way than his way. In, in the final details of the worship of the people of God out there in the desert, in the wilderness of the tabernacle, he impresses again and again, we must follow the direction of worship that Almighty God has given by his directive. Verse 21, look there, it says, otherwise, what will happen? You might die. And verses 33 and 38 say you might be cut off. What could be more terrifying than being out in the wilderness with the people, with your family, and then to be told that you are cut off? These are terrible warnings. J.A. Mortier writes this, quote, any sort of casual assumption that, that whatever we do sincerely is, a valid, is as valid in heaven as it may be enjoyable on earth finds no endorsement in the Bible. So what I'd like to do is look at a few of the verses in chapters 30 and 31 that speak to worshiping God's way and the directive that God gives us in corporate worship and for us to come together as a unified body of believers in worship. Look with me at chapter 30, verse 1. Just verse 1 to start. It says, the Lord God says to Moses, quote, You shall make an altar by which to burn incense. And throughout scripture, uh, the burning of incense is connected to what? Practice. To prayer. We said in our call to worship, Psalm 141 verse 2, let my prayer be counted as incense before you. That that image of the burning of these wonderful uh, smelling senses that that, that go up to the Lord. And that aroma going up to the Lord and that smoke rising would be like our prayers. Revelation 5, 8 says that the rising smoke symbolizes the prayers of the saints going up before the Lord. And so the altar of incense was to remind the people of Israel to pray. Continually burning. Incense added in the morning and at twilight. Continually together. Worship is very much from beginning to end and underneath and before and front prayer. The Lord says and commands that worship is about prayer. What else? Look at verse 11. Quote, the Lord said to Moses, when you take the census, the census of the people of Israel, then each shall give a ransom for his life to the Lord when you number them. Now, we're not exactly sure how this census worked, but what we do know is every man, woman, and child in Israel, poor and rich alike, needed to be redeemed. And the cost of their redemption needed to be counted. And everyone, from a crying infant to an elderly person, needed to stand, if they could stand, and be counted for the Lord. This was commanded by God. 
Drop down to verse 17. The Lord said to Moses, You shall also make a basin of bronze with its stand of bronze for washing. We talked about the practical nature of, of being out there in the wilderness. People get pretty dirty, right? Their feet get dirty, their sandals, their hands. And so the priests needed to wash themselves every time they went into the tent of meeting. They needed to be prepare, prepared. Who was fetching the water? Where were these materials coming from? There must have been a whole system of people involved in helping and the maintaining of this worship. According again, we see here, by the Lord's directive. Now verses 26 to 29, a little bit longer passage, but it all fits together in unison. It says, with the oil, the special oil that the people had collected and, and pressed and, and made, you shall anoint, and it basically says, absolutely everything needed to be anointed. The, the tent of meeting, the ark of the testimony, all of the, the utensils, the lampstand, the table, the, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering, all of it needed to be anointed with oil. Why? Verse 29, you shall consecrate them that they may be most holy. So here God emphasizes the concept. Not only did we see the priest needing to be cleansed and purified, but every element in the place of worship needed to be consecrated before the Lord, needed to be held in the highest regard. Another example of the seriousness taken in worship. Nothing frivolous, nothing haphazard. Everything had a clear purpose in worship. And then we drop down to chapter 31, and the first six verses, the Lord names a particular artist who would be charged, and in fact, the Lord says, this artist is empowered by God to oversee the building of the tabernacle and all of the garments. Now, do you imagine one person could do all of that? No, of course not. They imagine that all of the artists and all of the craftsmen were called together to this wonderful building. So we thank God for the artists among us and the craftsmen that are called together. Everyone collectively bringing their skill, their ability, and their experience and training to bear in this building of this special mobile sanctuary. Look at verse 12 of chapter 31. It says, And the Lord says to Moses, Tell my people, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. One of the great Ten Commandments, that we're to keep the Sabbath and make it holy. And the Lord has here the promise that it will be a sign between the people and God that they belong to him. It will be a sign to all of their neighbors. Imagine taking one day and making it holy for the Lord and the Lord's service. The Lord ties us to the generations. We talked about a class for spiritual parenting. The tie-in here, the spiritual parenting. He promises throughout all your generations that, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. That I grow you spiritually. That I, the Lord, set you apart. Throughout these two chapters, God is sending a very clear message he is in charge of worship. There are consequences 
if we don't worship God his way. And also, throughout chapter 30 and 31, and indeed throughout our whole series, we've learned the great joy that comes to our souls when we worship God corporately, together, as one people. Back in 2001 of August, Cheryl and I finished at seminary in Southern California and moved to Minneapolis, Minnesota. First time we experienced heat and humidity like that. We don't really have that in California. Uh, It was uh, pales in comparison to what we get to experience here in Maryland in August. But it it was pretty warm, pretty warm. I think we had only about five days to get unpacked in our apartment there uh, before my first Sunday of leading worship at Knox Presbyterian Church. So you can imagine how excited I was and nervous and writing and rewriting that first sermon. And I'll never forget, Saturday night, the night before my first service of leading my new church in worship, I got a phone call from our worship director named Jeff. And Jeff the night before our first worship service together, resigned. Can you imagine? I was already sweating bullets, friends. I mean, this church did not have air conditioning either, so it was already not going to go well. Not much of an explanation, just that he needed to resign immediately. So somehow we muddled through that first service, and at the end of the service, I gave the announcements at that church. We would do the announcements at the end rather than the beginning. And I said, all those involved in in worship leadership at at the church, I'd like to invite all of us to join together tomorrow night, Monday night at 6 p.m. to talk about where uh, we'll go next. That seemed to make sense. The next evening came, and a few folks started to file in. And I noticed something very interesting. Now, no, I've only been here for about a week. I don't even know everyone's name. People are filing into the church. I see some people sitting uh, on the right side of the church. I see others sitting on the left side of the church. What's, what's going on here? Someone from one side came up to me and, and asked me, uh, Pastor, why are the praise team people here for this important meeting? Oh, I get it. The choir was on one side, and the praise team was on the other side. Okay, I've got a divided church. How lovely. Years, my friends, of working through division, hostility, and mistrust in a church. Corporate worship was often a time of grieving and division. Times when there was arguments and debates about how money was being spent or, or if musicians were being hired or improvements to the, the facility and, and all of it. Now, let me ask you this. If you've been a part of a church for a long time, and maybe not Neilsville, but I'll tell you, I can't think of a thing in ministry more difficult than going from one worship service to two worship services. And we experienced that, and maybe you did here years ago at Neilsville. Incredibly painful and difficult time at Knox Presbyterian Church. A people divided. A people struggling to worship God's way. Then I came to Nielsville. I remember I came a special week uh, of, of the time that the church was going to vote to approve 
uh, inviting me and calling me to serve as your pastor. And Michelle Kelly, who's sitting here in the front row, you're taking notes. Michelle, don't write this down. Your ears are going to burn. Michelle and George hosted a breakfast, and they invited everyone involved in the church, especially all those involved in worship. I thought, here we go again. The choir people are going to want pancakes. The praise team's going to want eggs. It's going to be a whole big mess. No, I saw a church family. I saw folks coming together, and I couldn't tell who were the ones on one side of the ledger or the other because it was one church family coming together to welcome me, to, to ask questions about uh, who I was and about plans for the future in ministry. And I thought, this is wonderful. And then the subject of a screen came up. I thought, oh, okay. Okay, we're not quite all on the same page yet. There was a difference of opinion. Strongly held feelings. And so the Lord led us these six, six seven years together through a process that really, in fact, may be as much as a decade in the making. A new sound system. Praise the Lord for a special gift from a saint here of our church. New lighting. And now, just in recent weeks, the completion of this long, carefully thought through process of incorporating a screen. Why did it take so long? Well, let me ask a different question. Why did it take the Lord God to explain the blueprints for the tabernacle 40 days to Moses up on that mountain? The details matter. Getting it right the first time matters. Coming together as a church family matters in corporate worship. It honors the Lord his way. And I want to say as a, as a testimony, as a church, I am so thankful that when I come to worship in our church, I don't know about you, but I get a front row seat, my soul is satisfied in our hour of praise and worship. And that's a testament, first and foremost, to the presence of our Holy Spirit. It's a testament to our fantastic worship leadership and servant heart of, of Steve Kim, our director, and all the players and all those who have involved themselves in all of the worship uh, of the church. Chancel Choir, Praise Team, Bell Choir, everyone together. That's a testament to what the Lord is doing in this place. You know, when Jesus gathered with his friends that fateful night that we're going to celebrate in just a moment, he said in John 13, 34, and 35, a new commandment I give you that you love one another. By this the world will know that you love me, that you love one another. And I'm thankful that we experience that love together and pray that the Lord would continue to expand our love for one another, for those that are new to our congregation, for those that feel that they're on the outside looking in, that we would open our doors and our arms and welcome them to our church. Finally, verse 18 of chapter 31, it says, And he gave to Moses, when he had finished speaking, this is the Lord God speaking, when he finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of testimony, tablets of stone, Written with the finger of God. This is the fifth uh, journey ascent up Sinai, which began with the promise of the tablets of the law back in chapter 24, verse 12, and ends here with the fulfillment of that promise, chapter 31, verse 18. So you see this lovely book ends of the series and the book ends of this section of the book of Exodus. 
Also, chapter 25 started with a, a list of all the materials that would be required to, to do this building project and all the money that would need to be raised. And here at the end, the Lord God identifies the artist who will oversee the building and the construction and all of the costs for this corporate project. And what's our takeaway this morning? The Lord insists on being in charge of our worship. Even though God gives us a lot of freedom in the forms and style of worship, there still are consequences of not worshiping God according to the clear teaching of Holy Scripture. So whatever form or style we partake, it needs to be informed by Scripture, and the focus needs to first and foremost be on Christ, our servant king, and needs to be grace-filled and joyful, because we have good news of great joy to share, don't we? And it needs to be corporate. That means we all need to play a part in it. So it's fitting today as we prepare to come to the Lord's table that we remember this. That the Lord's Supper is a sacrament the Lord Jesus gave to his followers, his disciples, for believers. To eat the bread and drink the cup of communion. To celebrate that we have a new vocation, a calling to trust and follow the Lord until he comes to make all things new again. The Bible says if you receive Holy Communion in a worthy manner, that is by faith, it will nourish your soul with all the benefits that he obtained through his death and resurrection on the cross and that you will grow in grace. The Bible also says the Lord's Supper is not for those who do not yet believe. And so I'm thankful that you are here, that you are present, but you shouldn't feel compelled to partake in this until you have taken that first step of faith to say, Lord, I believe in you, I trust in you. What I'd like to do in conclusion is to read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 to 34, and it will be on the screen or you can look in your pew Bible, and it explains all that's going on in the table. Paul's pointing out the divisions in the church. Nothing new under the sun, is it? Divisions in the church in Corinth, in corporate worship, there's a lack of proper conduct. There's a dishonoring of one another and a dishonoring of the Lord. And so he calls the church, he calls you and me to examine our hearts, to repent and ask forgiveness of any unconfessed sins before partaking in the Lord's Supper. He warns that if we come to the Lord's table carelessly or casually or uncaring of the precious gift of Christ who humbled himself he gave up his station in heaven. He didn't hold on to it, but he humbled himself to come to be a servant. That mustn't we also follow in his footsteps and serve one another and to come by faith and to receive this gift. So I'm going to slowly read this passage and then we'll pray and go to the table. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. Then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. 
But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you come to eat together, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. Let's pray. Lord, in your presence, we bow down. In your holiness, we stand, waiting for you, seeking your will as you come and purify our hearts. With hands lifted high, we cry out to you, Lord, our God. Make us anew. In your presence, Lord, we bow down. In your holiness, we stand. Lord God, we pray that our focus would always be on Christ, our servant king, that our worship would be grace-filled, and that our worship together would be unified. The bonds of love and peace with with one another would be strengthened. Lord Jesus, on that faithful night, you took off your outer robe, you wrapped it around yourself, and you washed your disciples' feet. Just as the priests need to cleanse themselves, you washed them, and then you instructed them to wash one another's feet, to be servants to one another. We pray, Lord, that in our corporate worship, in our lives together as a church family, with us going all over the place and racing from place to place during the week and so many busy schedules with so many of us, Lord, that are unable to leave our homes and we're homebound throughout the week. In all of it, Lord, we pray that the bonds that we build on your day, on the Sabbath day, the Lord's day, would strengthen, encourage, and grow us in grace. For we ask this in your precious name. Amen. Friends, you are invited.